You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you. And they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to cloneawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember... This is a deal that cannot be cloned. Hey, Andrew, how are you? Hey, Kristen. I'm okay, but if I'm really honest, I haven't been doing super great lately. I'm kind of super really really down. Oh, no. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, you and I talk all the time. We talk every day. And you know I've been thinking about going to therapy, but I've been to Mm -hmm. therapists before, and I'm afraid that a therapist wouldn't understand all my disability stuff. And you know how much I love talking about disability, right? Yeah, I hear you have, like, a whole podcast about it. Right? I mean, I talk about it all the time, everywhere. And I'm just worried that I don't want to explain to a therapist, like, what is ableism? What is disability? Like, I don't want to do that before we get into my stuff, you know? Yeah, that's fair. You shouldn't have to, like, fully educate a therapist before starting a therapeutic process. And I think that's really hard because, honestly, you deserve support from someone who gets it. You get it? You're my best, you, like, you're my best friend. You get it? What do you think I should do? I mean, I think you should find a disability-informed support person to help you work through this. If anyone listening to this is interested, I'm actually offering disability-informed support for $40 per session. Whoa, whoa. $40 a session? That's super cheap. The last time I checked, one session was like over 100 bucks. But we can still talk about disability stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. Like everything from like physical changes in your body to ableism and exploring internalized ableism, grief that comes with disability, chronic pain, all that good, terrible stuff that so many of us live it's so fun isn't it it's it's so great yes and i i know you also do you also offer support for non-disabled people too right yeah i do support for able-bodied and non-disabled people as well because really i mean everyone gets sick or experiences illness or vulnerability at some time in their life and while 
that's a different experience than living with chronic disability. I think it's all very related. And if you're going through any sort of life change where you're having grief related to bodily change or body difference, I'm more than happy to support you with that as well. I think everybody deserves and needs affordable support. I think that it's such a great thing you're offering and I want to make sure that all the lovely listeners of Disability After Dark can reach you. How do they do that? Okay, well, right now they can reach me by email. It's Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N dot Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S one zero at gmail.com and you can email me there to ask me questions or uh, let me know if you'd like more information or you can go straight to booking a support session with me. Awesome. Well, I, I can't I can't speak any more highly of this amazing thing. I'm so excited that there's finally disability-centered support for stuff like ableism and for stuff like internalized ableism and all the stuff that we go through that we never get to talk about. And thank you so much for offering it and for putting yourself out there, Kristen. Aw, thanks, Andrew. I hope you feel better soon. Me too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. We call it flicking the bean, choking the chicken, giving yourself a hand, auditioning finger puppets. There's a million and one names for the old five-finger shuffle, and yet hundreds of millions of people are unable to sauce the taco due to disability, aging, or illness. That's where we come in, if you'll pardon the phrase. At Bumpin', we've created the world's first accessible sex toy, so people with limited mobility, hand issues, and disabilities can celebrate Palm Sunday just like everyone else. If you agree that everyone deserves sexual pleasure, help us spread the self-love and fund an orgasm for those in need. Give the gift of the big O at getbumpin.com. That's G-E-T-B-U-M-P-N dot com. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends, and thank you so much for clicking on this bonus episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza, your deliciously disabled daddy host, that is. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled. I am so excited for this bonus episode today, and let me tell you all about it. On the show today is a friend of a friend of mine. You know my friend, Kristen Williams, who is doing disability-centric therapy um, and counseling to a lot of you who listen to the show have reached out to her and uh, used her services. So today, I speak with our mutual friend, E.C. O'Reilly, who has written a book all about disability, but what I love about her book is that it's completely different. It's a work of fiction, but it sets disability against a really cool, thriller-esque type story. And let me read you a synopsis of her book. 
Her book is called Who's Afraid of the Chair? Which is a very apropos disability title and great for Cripplet. So let me read you let me read you a quick the the back cover of the book and then we'll go from there. After watching the gruesome suicide of a tragic stranger, Audrey has spent years trying to raise money for her mental health clinic for the disabled. Suddenly, her dreams are made true by a reclusive stranger, but the money comes at a high price. She must successfully navigate between two powerful forces. If she fails, she won't just lose her clinic, she'll lose her life. And if that happens, who's going to feed her cat? Just from the synopsis of the book, I was immediately drawn in because... When do we ever hear about disabled characters in a synopsis of a book? And when are they ever the front and center? And I loved it right away. And so when EC said, can I promote it? I was like, of course you can. Come on the show. Let's talk all about it. So in the interview, we talk about why EC O'Reilly wanted to write a book like this, what some of the themes around disability are in the book, and why it was important to put a full-fledged disabled character front and center in a story that grounds it in disability. And one of the things I love about the book is that, and you'll hear me say it in the interview, it's grounded in disability, but it's up against a fantastical story that is one we don't often hear about disabled people in. And I think it was really important for her to do this. And so I loved talking with her. Not only did she write this book about uh, disabled characters, she herself, E.C. O'Reilly, lives with disabilities. And so we talk a little bit about that as well throughout our interview. It was really, really important for me to promote this work, and I'm so excited for you to hear all about it. Just a content note that when you listen today, we will be talking a little bit about we will be talking a little bit about suicide, violence towards disabled people, and violence towards animals. So if those are not things you want to listen to right now, I fully respect it if you want to skip this bonus episode. But if you're excited to hear about disabled characters in literature and written by disabled people, then this is an episode for you. I highly recommend you pick up a copy of Who's Afraid of the Chair, available now on the Amazon platforms. So go pick it up and um, have a listen to my interview with my friend E.C. O'Reilly right here on a bonus episode of Disability After Dark. E.C. O'Reilly, hey. Hi, my dearest darling. Nice Hi, to talk how are to you. you. It's so nice I'm to talk so to you good. too. <laughs> I'm so excited. This is your first time on a bonus episode of Disability After Dark. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I'm oh, a big fan. <laughs> I'm a big fan of you. We're sort of we're sort of secret friends. Yeah. But, uh, but I'm a big fan of what you're doing, and I'm so excited to bring it here today. So, so. Before we jump into what you're doing, because I think it's awesome, I want to give the Disability After Dark audience a chance to get to know you a little bit. And, and can you, so can you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience? Tell us who you are Hi. and what you do. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is E.C. O'Reilly. Um, I'm a woman in Canada. I was, I have two disabilities. Um, I'm dyslexic, which is just a learning, learning disability for those who don't know. And then I have an acquired brain injury that I got about five years ago. Um, 
and I recently wrote a book and that's why I'm here. Awesome. So I like it. I'm not wait to talk about the book. The book is so important for disability representation and we'll get to that in just a second. But I want to go into a little bit about, and I ask all my guests this because I think it's important. Can you share with us, like, other than just the technical of what your disabilities are, can you also talk to me about how your disabilities play a role in your day-to-day life and how they impact you? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so to start off with what I call the easy one, uh, I'm dyslexic and I have a certain type of dyslexia that makes uh, my that impacts my writing, my ability to write. And I found out for sure when I was in the third grade, I had a wonderful teacher who um, for the first time looked at me like I wasn't stupid and was able to get me tested and clarified that I had uh, dyslexia. And um, I might be showing my age a little bit, but there wasn't a lot of help for people with learning disabilities back then. It was a lot of just maybe some medication and just sort of someone to kind of give you a little bit of extra help, but there wasn't any specifics or science to what they would help you with. And so I grew up with that. Um, I didn't really tell anybody that I was dyslexic for most of my early adult life, just because it never really came up because I had learned to cope. And, um, And, you know, ableism is real and the stigma of like people thinking you couldn't read or couldn't understand something. And, you know, kids back in our day when we were growing up, I mean, even, even so now, when you say you have an invisible learning disability, people look at you like, it's your fault still. It's the ableism you're experiencing is very real. And I understand why you wouldn't want to tell anybody right away. Yeah, absolutely. And dyslexia is kind of famous for really um, having a lot of famous people that have dyslexia. Like there's a lot of actors, actresses, directors, um, authors, like CEOs, like there's a disproportionate amount of CEOs that have dyslexia. So it's one of those disabilities that everyone wants to celebrate it once you're a success. But no, I think most disabilities are like that when no one wants to celebrate you while you're learning and struggling. And so you're just sort of in the face of it, people asking you like, can you read can you do like just stupid questions? And if like, of course I can read, I, I work here with you. Like, why, why would you ask me something <laughs> like that? And also like in my earlier career, I didn't want to like have people lose confidence in me. Right. And so, yeah, I had I mean, to just sort of learn to deal with that. So, and so, you know, you're also an author. Does you having dyslexia make being a writer like not more complicated, but different than somebody who didn't have dyslexia? Probably. I probably need more, a little bit more editing help than another person that other person may not like specifically with certain types of like grammar. And I do a thing where I uh, will flip letters in a word and not fully notice. Like if there's an EI, I'll flip that often. And I think some people might interpret it as laziness, but often I just can't really see what the issue is until I've like taken a lot of space from the work. So yeah. yeah it's like anything that just takes me a little bit more time than I think someone without it would. Um, but yeah. it wasn't super present in my adult life just because I had learned to cope for the most part. And then I had a brain injury five years ago. Um, oh, that's fun. My- just, yeah. you know, <laughs> just your everyday average brain injury. Just as you That do. old brain damage. <laughs> yeah. Walking the, the funnest club. thing. Woo. Uh, <laughs> so I was uh, moving. And uh, a door fell on my head and um, it sort of changed my life forever, really, because um, I'm a completely wow. different person now than when that happened. I was really sick for about four years. I've only really started to get better in the last year, but it's uh, it taught me a lot about living with a disability that like impacts your day to day because 
the thing about dyslexia is it only impacts you, at least the type I have, it only impacts me in certain scenarios. Whereas like the brain injury, I was in, I had chronic pain. I had all, a whole host of other issues that came up from having uh, the brain injury, one of them being like digestive issues. So that's something we have in common. Oh yeah. We talk about our poo all the time. <laughs> it's it's great. <laughs> in fact, as we were getting ready for the podcast today, I think, I, I think you, were like, you were like, how far are you in the book? And I was like, oh, I had to stop because, you know, digestive stuff. <laughs> it's brutal. It's really hard. It's oh, really, yeah. really hard. But yeah, so I had all kinds of issues from that and I'm slowly getting better. I've been on so many different types of medications and assistive devices. And one of the things that sort of pushed me into writing this book was seeing how much ableism and just general lack of knowledge from disability infringes on people getting what they need. Yeah. And when you're really sick, it's really hard to explain to people everything that's going on, especially with a brain injury, because you're not super conscious of what's happening all the time. Yeah. And going through the medical system and with work and education, it was it was a lot. Let's jump into the book for a minute because I am really excited about it. Um, and it's I wouldn't say it's one. It's a really important piece of literature for a number of reasons, because we never see disabled people depicted in literature the way you've done here. And I'm only on chapter three and I have a lot more to get to. <laughs> but even from what I read, I was telling you off the air. From what I've read, I was like, holy wow, you're describing my life. Like, where, what is, <laughs> you know, so can you, first of all, tell me all about the book um, and tell us a little bit about the synopsis. Okay. So my novel is a piece of fiction that I took a little bit of inspiration from my real life. So our narrator and main character, her name is Audrey. She's a woman that has mildly severe cerebral palsy. She uses a manual wheelchair. Uh, she's uh, living out of Boston. And she's a therapist and her current role is that she is a, when the book begins, she helps people who want to commit suicide. So she works at an urgent trauma sort of helpline. Um, and she's been doing that for a number of years and her whole life changes when she witnesses the suicide of someone she doesn't know who has a disability. And the reason the woman had committed suicide is because no one could understand her. She had a type of disability that, while she was both in a wheelchair, she was she had verbal issues and she couldn't move very much. And while she was a very beautiful woman, no one understood her and she was in a new city and she couldn't get any help. And Audrey is, our main character, is racked with guilt over that. And so she spends years trying to get money for this counseling center and eventually f- runs into somebody who is willing to give her everything that she wants with no strings attached. And pretty quickly in the story she witnessed something she's not supposed to and then spends the rest of the story trying to navigate between two very powerful forces and I really just wanted to tell a story of what really really severe vulnerability looks like in faces of extreme power and where is the power in being that vulnerable and I just wanted to explore that one of the things that um, I, I loved reading it right off the bat when I opened when I started it and I kind of knew because you gave me you gave me like I, I sort of knew what it was about because I, I had been, you told me a little bit about what it was, but when I started reading it and I immersed myself into the world a little bit to see the character of Audrey, who's based off somebody who you, who all you listeners know, my friend, Kristen, who mm-hmm. is, you hear her ad in the show all the time. So it's sort of loosely based on her life a little bit. And so, or her work, not, not her life, but her work as a, just yeah. as a as a therapist um yeah 
And so, but reading, reading some of the ways you describe disability, some of the ways you describe attendant care in the book, some of the ways you describe how, you know, her, her wheelchair would handle in the rain, things that are so simple to a lot of us living that life, but we've never seen it in a fiction before. We've never seen it like talked about in a, in a story like that. And I thought it was really, I just thought those little details were really important. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I was really excited to be able to write somebody from this world because it's so, I was really embarrassed when I first started hanging out with our shared best friend at how little I knew about the world of somebody who, not that they're disabled, because I knew a lot about disabled people, but I didn't know anything about really living with like assistive devices. So like people that are visibly disabled that people like can see immediately. And just that world is so different. And there's so many things that I, as an able-bodied person, like, didn't see and didn't understand. Like, one of the things I talk about first in the book is how a lot of manual wheelchairs, I don't know if anybody has a different case here, that they can't get wet. So if you're disabled, you can't go out in the rain. And, like, I don't know if anyone has ever had a job before, but you can't not go because it's raining. Like, or, that's you know, absurd. Not, not even a job, a doctor's appointment, uh, you know, anything. Cool. Like, anything, right? But just any obligation. And it's like, if you live anywhere that's not California, you know, and even in California, there's lots of rain, there's snow, you name it. And even, in, and well, <laughs> I just got back from California. I did a, I was in San Francisco for a great, cool disability conference. And I got to tell you, California has some of the worst disability transit and disability, uh, like taxi cabs. I tried to get a cab to get myself from San Francisco, the hotel where I was, to the airport. And they were like, um, we don't have uh, any cabs right now. But we can get you a medical cab, but that'll cost you 600 US one way. So, Oh, my God. It's not even just rain. It's like everything. Yeah. Can be, like, it doesn't matter. Like, so, but yeah, you know, when you, in the story, when you talk about how the chair can't get wet or like, you know, how certain people look at her in the chair there were just so many moments where me as a full-time wheelchair user went yep that's my story yep you got that right like that was really 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 cool to see thank you yeah so uh, the first scene in the book um is this person audrey is trying to pitch to a room of wealthy strangers to try to get funding for her clinic and i essentially stole that from my real life because the way i had met Uh, our best friend, Kristen, is she was trying to get some money together to start um, essentially a non-for-profit that would be for like emergency mental health services for people with disabilities. And we were in a room of people that were quite capable, like everyone who was pitching was like either an engineer, a tech person, a business person. And it, it was quite a, it was a nice room to be in. And we had one essentially a Dragon's Den version, uh, like sort of miniature version of Dragon's Den for some funding. Yeah, And I met her there and the way people would interact with her blew my mind because I had never like ever thought that people would have such little shame for how condescending and infantilizing they would treat her. And I wanted to show that in the book because I couldn't like, how can you speak that way to an adult? Like, <laughs> like yeah. I feel like that would almost be the way they spoke to her. I felt would almost be too condescending for even a child. And they just, I remember when she was interrupted at one point during her presentation that was like very professional and about something that was very serious to be told how special and wonderful she is. That actually, <laughs> wait, wait. I thought, I thought you dramatized that to be part of the book. That was a real no. thing. That oh, was no! a real thing. 
that was a real moment and I, I it lives in my mind like it's tattooed to my brain because this was a person that had a lot of money that was really successful like that had no excuse really for not being socially aware enough at least in my mind like this is a metropolitan person I've had the same I've had so many of the same experiences I do professional speaking and I can't tell you that I I remember one that I'll never forget I did it a couple years ago for some therapists in Toronto they asked me to come and speak on kink and queerness Mm. and disability space I did it and I did the talk and they wanted me to speak for two hours okay which is a long time for anybody to get up there and speak so I did my job and right at the end, the CEO of the company or the CFO or whoever it was, somebody really high ranking, the guy basically who paid my check or who signed my check so I could get paid, right as I'm done and right as I had finished saying something like, you know, please see my wheelchair, please see my disability for what it is. Yeah. He stops and goes, yeah, but when I look at you, I don't see your wheelchair. I just see you. And I went, <laughs> oh and I went, God. oh, no. I went, oh no, this is not, you can't be serious. But I had to smile and be like, oh, thank you, because he hadn't paid me yet. So I did. Thanks. So I 100% recognize what it's like. And also, I think, you know, doing those kind of things to get funding, like I've also got, tried to get funding for my sister has gone into the room where in front of big venture capitalists to do funding for our sex toy. And Mm. the same thing, when you talk about disability, they all, Nobody knows what to do. Nobody knows how to manage that. And so I, I, I remember reading that part in your book. Um, and I noticed that we haven't said what the name of the book is yet. Let's say what the name is of the book. Uh, so the book is called Who's Afraid of the Chair? Um, I was inspired by uh, Virginia Woolf and her um, work. And I just loved the title, um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and Who's Afraid of the Chair? Because the truth is no one's afraid of disabled people, but maybe they should. Um, so I thought that would be fun. I mean, because it's a book about power. You could look at it too. Like they are, everyone is afraid of disabled people. They're afraid of like the reality that they're going to become one. They're afraid of saying the wrong thing. They're like, so there are so many different ways you could look at that. And that's why I love the way, and I love the way you positioned it because as somebody who's a chair user, I knew as soon as I looked at the title, like the cover of the book, I knew right away what we were talking about. And I was like, this is so important. So like, I think, you know, having those stories of Audrey in the room being infantilized, Audrey talking about how her attendants were crap, Audrey, like, talking to the audience about just some disability things, that really brings, I think, the audience into a world they may not be used to, but that's all of a sudden accessible to them through fiction. One of the things that I love that you've done in this in this story because so much of disability, if we have, if we ever write about it, it's usually what a memoir, or yeah. it's like Johnny got sick and then he died. <laughs> and, Sorry. Here's, and here's the last like six months of his life, dying in a wheelchair, or some bullshit like that. Yeah. What, you, what you've done here is you've taken disability and you've grounded it in the reality of disability through through the character of Audrey. But you, then you've taken it and you've like juxtaposed it against this really like thriller spy story and I think that is so that that hooked me right away because I was like this is necessary we need to see like James Bond-esque you know thriller-esque <laughs> stories of disabled folks doing the things and I think well well it's not a James Bond-esque kind of book the thriller and spy element and spy 
but you know the thriller it's element. Yeah, it's crime, crime. Yeah, yeah. So because she's mostly involved with the mob in this story, so she's she gets involved into the world of organized crime. Not to give too much away, but she gets involved into this world that she doesn't know that she's joining, and then by witnessing something by accident, because this is a story essentially about her catching people drug trafficking, and she gets involved into this world and has to sort of navigate through all these forces who think they can take advantage of her. And she has to be stronger than everything that's trying to weigh down on her. It's either be strong or die. And I think most of being disabled is you be strong, you die. You have to stick up for yourself over and over and over again, every day, over everything, over just being fed, over having your apartment cared for, over being able to get where you need to go. Like, like you just said with the cab story, like you couldn't get a cab. So they wanted you to pay $600. One so way. you have to go back and fight. Yeah. So the only option is to get up and fight, like quote, get up, right? Like you have to okay, I'm going to go do this again. I'm going to do this again. And you have to do it every single day. And to think of a disabled person as weak is so baffling to me because it's so much fighting every day is sticking up for yourself again and again and again. And I mean, what I love about it in the story is that again, that's like in the story, but also they're trying to help her with, you know, her, they're saying, we're going to fund your business. We're going to fund your, your helpline mm-hmm. for disabled folks. Like, but you have to kind of shut your mouth and let us kind of do, you know, illicit things yeah. while we do that. And I just yeah. think seeing, and like seeing a very disabled character up against that in in situations that we would never be a part of because people think disabled people can't be embroiled yeah. in like in like big things like that. That's what I loved about it. It was like taking because we all we all think of. Again, we think of disabled characters as like on their deathbed or like, or superhuman. And and what I like so far from what I'm reading is that she's neither of those things. She's somewhere in the middle of, and she's a human being like, yeah, this is what I'm dealing with. And like, that's really cool. Yeah. No, I have such an affection for this character, um, you know, because she's a little bit of everything that I love and she's not perfect by any means, but her wanting to get up and fight again for her first for someone else and then for herself is powerful and I think not just in like not just in disability but just as a human being like just as a woman in particular and a lot of it is just how men like when you're talking about like sort of cis hetero relationships and how like straight men interact with women who are different like I think part of the story is like how people are attracted to her and they don't fully understand that attraction and they don't actually know how to act upon that attraction and so they treat her really strangely and I just sort of wanted to write about that because like the way people and you know your podcast there's a lot of uh, talking about sex and things like that and really wow yes (laughs) like the interaction and like the way attraction works with people who are disabled for people who are like have a lot of ableism is really, really, there's a lot there and there's a lot of pain there. And I wanted to sort of talk about that. And it was really important to me that she be beautiful, that she's in a world that thinks that she's beautiful and like wants her, but doesn't know how to act upon it. And I wanted her to come into using that power throughout the story, because that's like such a primal female experience. Why should female trans everybody experience that? Like if you're femme, like that's your power. And I wanted her to learn to be in that power throughout this. Cause all of this story is just about like masculine energy, trying to impose itself on her and trying to like harm her and her coming into herself and using that to get her, her power and her revenge. So it's really like feminist, not that sounds not, not quite. It's just, 
not quite, uh, but it's something to do with that. I just wanted to, the stories about power and just like femme power is different than like masculine power. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. I didn't didn't mean necessarily feminist. I meant like the femme power of like being femme and being a certain way and then taking your power back. Like, yeah, exactly. And exactly. I think for, that's such a, a human experience, right? Like everybody has like some kind of experience like that. Some folks in, in wheelchairs, like, or disabled some folks with disabilities, like mm-hmm. they will be seen to be meek or to be taken advantage of or to whatever. So the fact that you're writing about this is, I just think, necessary. What about this, like, when you're writing it, and when you're putting this stuff to paper, were you worried that nobody would want to read a story like this? Were you worried about like how it would be perceived? Yeah, um, there's always that fear, but it just something about the story was on my heart. Like as soon as it hit my mind, it just stayed in my heart, and I was like, if no one reads it, I'll have at least written it. Um, and I don't know if it's good, right? You can't really judge your own work. People keep it's telling good. me wonderful things, and I got it's a really good. wonderful review, um, but you can't really judge your own work. Um, but I think sometimes when you're doing something creative, if something really, really sticks in your heart, you just sort of have to go through with it to the end. And, you know, of course there's concern that no one will read it or no one will like it or that you suck terribly. Like, I don't think, um, what's that phenomenon called where, uh, imposter syndrome that never leaves, right. You're just constantly thinking like, okay, where's, where's the fraud police? The fraud police are going to come get me. Yeah. Like why is someone not going to come get me? Yeah, where's the big hook to pull me off stage, even though I'm not on stage? Like, someone's got to come punch me in the face because I'm an idiot, right? Like, like that never fully leaves, but (laughs) I think it's important to try. Do you think that, you know, a story like this and a fiction like this will open up more opportunities and more chances for other disabled authors who wanted to tell a story like this or something similar to write disabled characters more realistically than they have in the past? I hope so. I, I'd like um, I'd like to talk, or not to talk, but I'd love to read more about power and disabled people and just how the world interacts with them. And like, there's been such progress in the last like five years, I would say, in like art showing disabled people and having disabled characters and books and TVs. But this disability is never really centered or understood or talked about. It's just sort of like a token you've got your token disabled friend on a lot of these shows now like on for like streaming services and um we're just starting now to get centered on disabled characters but a lot of the art that is done is not really written by people who have disabilities or people that are close to have people that have disabilities and therefore a lot of it gets a little lost in translation so I'm, I'm hopeful that we're progressing towards something um and I'm really excited I think we are. And I think, you know, like maybe this is, maybe this could be a series of books that you write with Audrey or an Audrey-esque type character, like a, a disabled character. Maybe, maybe she can become like a informant for the, I don't know, maybe <laughs> she could end up like, you could do a whole bunch of like thriller books with her as the lead. That'd be pretty cool. I, I hope to. Um, I believe she's going to have a three book arc um so this would be the first installment i've done some plotting and some work and i'm hopeful that she'll have uh, more to bring you i really love living in her world and in her mind and it's just a wonderful creative space for me to be in so if i didn't have to do anything else i would just write her work like just write through her and write her stories because she's she lives in my soul i think in a weird way not to be too 
metaphysical about it, but like to write about her, like makes me feel whole. And I just would love to just keep doing that. But I have, uh, you know, a life with other obligations and can't just spend all day in my basement typing away you as can? much as what? I would like to. <laughs> really? What? No, I get it. I get it. And I, think, <laughs> I think, you know, having, because there's so many like thriller crime books out there mm-hmm. with like the lead and they never talk about whether the lead's disabled. They never talk about whether the lead's a person of color. They never talk about like, they never delve into the realities of that. And I think yeah. having a lead character in a in a series of, of crime books that is notably and markedly disabled and isn't like, isn't like the, you know, isn't the department's token disabled person, but it's like just a mm-hmm. person. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I know. It was really important to me that she'd be full. Like she's a full person with full thoughts and full experiences and, the people around her also have like full thoughts and full experiences because there's a number of disabled characters in the book and they all have their own backgrounds of like whether their disability was acquired or whether they were born with it and what that means. And there, and a lot of the people that are near her and close to her had other disabled people in their life that they had either lost or they weren't around anymore and they were drawn to her for that reason. And it was just like, those things are important. It's important that characters are full. I think bad writing is where and I don't, not that I'm the authority to speak on what good or bad writing is, but I think bad writing is when you try to make complex things simple and there's nothing really simple about disabled living. No, there isn't. And I, I, like I, like I was saying earlier, my favorite parts of the book are not the big moments. And again, I'm only on chapter three, so I'm not even at the big, <laughs> I'm not even at the big stuff yet. But like when, I, from what I've read, my favorite parts so far, are the little moments where you nod to disability, where, like I said, any disabled reader will read that and go, Yep, I understand that. Yep, I get that. I understand because, look, again, the only kind of characters we have with disabilities in books are are on their deathbed, or yeah. they're su- they're superheroes, and you, like the fact that you humanize the character, I think, is important for all of us. What do you want non-disabled folks who read this book to to take from it? Do you want them to do? You want, obviously, you want it to be a page turner and like a sexy thriller for them to read. But in terms of like disability, what do you want them to to glean from this? Oh gosh, um, just to understand a little bit more that everyone's human and not to like treat people like they're children and to just be a little bit more normal. Like there's a lot of, uh, and when I say that, I mean like there is nothing stranger than a lot of the way that people treat visibly disabled people and disabled people in public. Like I have never ever had a random stranger just randomly asked to pray for me because I'm <laughs> like going anywhere with a person with a visible disability. If you're in a mall for an extended time, just some stranger will walk up and be like, can I please pray for you? Like you need help. Like, no, no, we're good. I mean, Thank you, like, Martha. I, like, I wish I wish I could just say back to to Martha, like, yes, I do need help. I need you to pay for my groceries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that? Like, yeah. yeah. Can I have a check? Like, what what are we doing? Like, I I would love to just instill some normalcy in the interactions between, like, if I had a magic wand and could just do anything I ever wanted, I would love for people who don't have disabilities to just you know, have a normal one instead and just treat like disabled people like they're people and not like baby infants who like, because it's so, I don't think people fully understand how damaging that is to infantilize an adult 
oh yeah needs to it, it be fucks, taken seriously it fucks us up for years and years and it gives us self-doubt and it gives us a huge case of like internalized ableism that people yeah. don't realize but we have to manage all the time so it, it totally does but uh you know I, I can't tell you the number of times that i've been asked to be prayed for or i've been asked to have reiki done on me to cure my disability and it's like oh no, like no um so but so i think putting that stuff in a story and showing people through fiction how silly people are in real life is a good job for them because it doesn't it doesn't accuse them like outright and say oh you're a bad person you've done this but it plants the seed in their brain through that through the character of like oh i've done similar stuff like that maybe i shouldn't let me try again yeah, and it, I think because a lot of people don't fully understand like the issues with things like inspiration porn, which I don't know if anybody, everybody listening understands what that is, but it's like, oh yeah, they do. Yeah, and so I have a funny little anecdote. This is not super related to the story, but I was one day just really needed to cry. Like I just had a lot of stress, and I just knew physically that I needed to let go and I needed to cry. So I searched on the internet like videos to make you cry, and I hit play. And I was so angry because it was just a playlist of disabled people doing things. And I was like, this is my Thursday. This is my Thursday. Why would this make me cry? So I couldn't cry. I got angry. (laughs) My computer. And I, it's so damaging and it's so infantilizing. And I just would love for that to not exist. Yeah. (laughs) I'd love for it to be normal. Let it exist. And we can make a bunch of money off it and be like, thanks, this is horrible. Um, but Always take a check. <laughs> like, yeah. like you can you can do your inspiration pointy videos if you donate all your clicks and views to an actual disabled person. Sure. Which, like, yeah, yeah, no, it never does, too. They make money off of someone just, like, doing a job. Like, yeah. it's like, isn't Joey amazing? Because he goes to work every day at a lawyer's office. Like, what the hell is this? It's like, yeah, he like, is. Joey has a like, master's degree. <laughs> Joey is amazing, but also fuck you. Like, so stupid. Yeah. It's so stupid, but yeah. Um, yeah. what do you want disabled readers who maybe are looking for representations of, of themselves in fiction? What do you want them to take from a story like this? Oh, um, I don't know. I think I kind of have to let them take what they feel is important I don't think I could really tell us particularly disabled people what to take from a book because there's a bit of a a death of the author thing where it's just I'm going to put the work out there and everyone's going to feel about it how they want to feel about it and I hope they feel good things I hope they feel good things but I I would never want to tell somebody who's like living an experience that's either the same or different to mind how to feel about that in art um because I don't really necessarily believe in censorship too much but i also don't believe in telling anybody how to feel about something right so well i'm gonna strongly nudge people in this direction (laughs) um not i'm not telling you what to do i'm just nudging you you should all pick up a copy of this book because we need more stories like this we need and and also you know i've read the synopsis i know the character of audrey has a sex life too um Like, I think that's fucking necessary and about fucking time we see characters with disabilities and books fucking good. Um, <laughs> like, what was it? Then this is a side tangent question that I didn't have planned. What was it like? I, well, I've, I have no questions planned. I'm just kind of talking to you, but what was it like to, um, to write 
a full character with disabilities having a sex life? Well, I, I sort of talked about this a little bit earlier, but it was really important to me that she be beautiful and that she be desired and that she come into that power. And part of that power is, you know, sex and having a normal sex life. And most, you know, almost everyone's having sex at some point, you know, like it's, it's a part of adult life. And like, it's important to see disabled people as full adults. Like she's a full person. She's not half a person. She's not only a person to where you're comfortable. And while like, the sex scenes in the in the book are not very descriptive because the narrator herself is a I would think is a very private person when as I sort of live in her she she would not be like super full frontal about how she would describe everything but she has sex because she's a full person you know and people have sex and it's a normal part of life and I, well uh, listen if yeah. you if you do part two and she's in another <laughs> if it's a trilogy as you plan and you need I don't know a sensitivity reader to give you like a sexy glow up of this character. Let me know. And I would be more than happy to put her in sexy situations. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, it's important that it felt organic to her. Like what would this type of woman who, you know, has all of these feelings and does all of these things, how would she want to be seduced and treated and act like, and you just sort of think of it that way. Like, I don't think of it as like, a disabled person having sex, even though it's exactly what it is, it just sort of like, this is a woman, like this is an adult woman in her late twenties. And how would she, you know, with all the other qualities she has about her act. And this is how I think she would act. And this is how I would write her. And, you know, it's just being an adult. (laughs) Does she have a queer best friend with a disability that she can go to after having this amazing sex? (laughs) In the synopsis, you sent me, he wrote she has sex it's great so after she has this amazing sex does she go to her queer disabled best friend cough cough you can base him on me in the next one and uh and yeah she has not a lot of friends that is one thing i uh i don't know that is the most realistic but it was just there was so much going on in this story and she's a very busy little person um, she didn't have a lot of friends. Uh, she has one close friend that she has throughout the entire story. Um, I'm hoping to expand her life a little bit in the next in the next uh, installment, but she's kind of really busy. Like she's a lot of time for well, you know, for friends. And I, I think, hope she has more in the next book. I think you know you can name him. Um, you can name him. My middle name is Sean, so I'll just give. It- <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but but I think you know talking about how you know, she doesn't have a lot of friends. I think that's important too. A lot of disabled people spend a lot of time isolated and alone and it's hard for us to find friendship and it's hard for us to find connection because of all the things we have to go through. And so I think obviously when you're writing that, that wasn't top of mind, but I think that is like an important piece to maybe in the next installment bring out because it is really hard for a lot of us to build connections because of all the things we have to manage, we have to manage our care. We have to manage yep. just trying to get up. We have to manage all these things. And so by the time, but like, by the time I get up in my day, I'm like, Oh, do I want to do more? Like I'm done. I yeah. did it. So like the the fact that she doesn't have a lot of friends is almost true to life because it is really hard for us to find connection. So I think yeah. again, while that wasn't something you were writing to necessarily with that top of mind, having, having that in there was more real than I think you realize. And I think it's just true for like professional life as well. Like most of the people that I know that are just adults, like never mind even having a family, they're so preoccupied with work. And Audrey is just completely sucked into her work life 
for most of the time because she's you know a young woman in her early career and it just takes up so much of her that like personal relationships really take a back seat and I think I don't know anybody that can't relate to that in some way like to also, or not, you know it makes, it makes her feel I think what I like about the character like from what I've read so far and in the synopsis and what you say about her being sucked into her work life because so many people think that we we can't work and mm-hmm. we can't have a job the fact that she is sucked into her work life and it's so so important to her and it almost overwhelms her with how important it is I like that because a lot of us who work and who are lucky enough to have the privilege to work do feel that way about the jobs we do yeah and you also have all this pressure to prove yourself when you have a disability, right? And if it's a disability, you have to be forthright about like, I had such a different experience when after my brain injury and I had to be direct about that I was disabled because I could just hide my dyslexia. I would just hide it just to avoid maybe the person's ableist. I don't know. I would hide away my experience. But then when I had the brain injury, I couldn't hide it anymore. Yeah, I, I had to be direct because I, it would affect me in my day and like my medical needs were very different and I would have to spend a lot more time in the doctor's office or the hospital and I I had to be open about that and that experience is so different I mean I see this being like you know I see this being like a 10 book like series (laughs) and going on forever and ever and I like you could you could be the next like I don't know who who does you could be the next like Agatha oh my god you could be (laughs) you could be Agatha Cripsy Oh my god! <laughs> I've decided it oh for god. you. There you go. Oh god! Uh, I recently found out she has some some works that I th- are pretty racist, oh, which is so disappointing. Oh, it's so no. disappointing. Yeah, I know. I was so sad because she she has some fa- fabulous work, but some not so famous work of hers apparently is quite all right. Uh, so yeah, quite racist. You'll be, you'll be Hopefully not. But we're all doing our best. <laughs> yeah, you'll be Agatha Crimson. Your whole, your whole thing will be about disability. Like, but I think, like, again, putting a disabled person in that world and naming that they're disabled and showing throughout the book that they're disabled in the tiniest of ways. Like, I think I said to you when I first read the like the first two pages. I think I texted you and was like, "I love it already." I mean, I bought in because it's like I saw myself immediately, and I think. As a reader, when I'm reading like classic works, like I don't know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make up a name here. When I'm reading like you know Jane Eyre or like you know mm-hmm. other classics, I don't automatically see myself there. But within the first two paragraphs of Who's Afraid of the Chair, I saw myself, and I think as a disabled you know person who's looking for representation of myself always, that's really powerful, and I can't. I can't say thank you enough for that because we don't ever see that. And it was, I don't think you realize how powerful that is for the reader. Thank you. That's really, that's really, really wonderful for me to hear. It really warms my heart. Cause I, I, I really tried my best and we're never going to get everything a hundred, but I really tried my best to be as authentic with what this person would go through as possible, because I felt like that's the power in the story not the mob and the FBI and all these other things <laughs> she has to contest with, but like who she is fully. And that's a person with a disability. She's a disabled woman and there's power in that. And I wanted her to fully live in that power. And what does that look like? And it, that sort of got me really thinking and living in her. And it was the reason I was able to write this because I've tried and failed to write. Oh my God, I have tried and failed to write so many times, but something about this story lived in my heart and I was able to explore 
that reality and my own pain and it gave me something that I thought was good enough to put out into the world and I'm so so happy that you enjoyed it at least so far and thank oh, don't you worry so I'm, gonna, much. I'm gonna be reading a bunch of it tonight to be like I gotta catch up I got so much more to read um, <laughs> but how do the people that are listening if anybody wants to I know it's available for pre-order today right yeah so by the time that this comes out uh it will be available for purchase um through the amazon store you can buy it either on hardcover or at kdp for the digital and then it will be out for on audible for an audiobook next week i don't have an official date yet but hopefully we can get back to you with that and roughly uh can you give me a rough estimate of the price point uh so if you're at the american store i believe it's $10 $10 for the digital and $30 for the hardcover. If you're in Canada, I believe it's $40-ish, but I think that adjusts because of the currency exchange. Um, okay, awesome. And then I think for Audible, it's just going to be however much a credit is. <laughs> and I mean, so. I mean, who doesn't want to support disabled writers writing disabled stories? So all of you listening are going to pause what you're doing right now, go to your Amazon places, type in Who's afraid of the chair? And you're gonna, you're gonna maybe, maybe get one because, <laughs> first of all, who doesn't want to see themselves in fiction? All of us do, and this is a chance to champion disabled stories. Well, against the backdrop of a, like a totally fun story, and also just support disabled people doing important stuff. We're always talking about how important representation is. Well, EC O'Reilly's giving it to you right here. <laughs> So support that, friends. Um, this was such a fun chat. Thank you for coming on this special episode. And I'm so honored that you asked me to do this. Oh, Andrew, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for having me. And I do want to add one last thing. Of course. Um, a portion from each book sold is going to be given to uh, disabled therapists so they can provide care to those who can't afford. Oh, yeah, um, I'd love that. Counseling. Yeah. So if even if you don't like how I've sounded today or if you don't like what I'm doing, you can buy my book and give it to someone <laughs> that you hate. Knowing that the money will be going somewhere of value. Wow. (laughs) Don't listen to what she said the last part. The book's amazing. (laughs) She's amazing. She just has imposter syndrome like we all do. Uh, But seriously, go by Who's Afraid of the Chair right now and support disabled disabled creations and stuff like this. And this is great. And I'm so honored to have had you on today. How can the people get a hold of you? How can they follow you? How can they support you? Uh, I'm a pretty private person, so I'm not on social media, but if you do want to get in touch or write me a note, uh, you can email me at ecoreillybooks at gmail.com and I will give Andrew that email so he can post it out. So cool. thank you so much, Andrew. I'm so, so grateful that you had me on. Thank you oh, so no. much. You're lovely. Uh, of course, this was lovely. And I'm, I'm again, like I said, I'm a huge fan. Like I said, 12 bucks over a span of a couple <laughs> years. Look, it's going to happen. <laughs> and in the next one, I want her queer disabled best friend sean cuff cuff that's me <laughs> to be <laughs> to be one of the leads um, absolutely oh, yeah. wink wink yeah, yeah. amazing we'll figure it out. <laughs> ec o'reilly this is such a pleasure thank you so much for being here and for writing who's afraid of the chair available now wherever you get uh your books which is on, on amazon on amazon <laughs> Caleb, love you for praise. It's available wherever you get your books on Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) For now, just on Amazon. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.
Alright friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I was of course your delectable daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for being here, thank you so much for listening, and shining a bright light on disability stories with me. If you want to follow all my work and see all my links and all the cool stuff I'm doing, you can head over to my new website, aagerza.com. And all my stuff is there, my social links are there, my website is there, my podcast is there, everything is there, and you can follow along with the show that way. If you want to leave a review for the show, please do so wherever you get your podcast. It really does help keep the bright lights shining on this show. If you want to support the show financially and get the show one day early, completely ad-free, as well as a shout-out on the air, consider pledging as little as $1 a month or $5 a month or more by going to patreon.com slash disability after dark. Stay comfy, cozy, and crippled, and we'll shine a bright light on disability stories next time.